This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me get into it. Let me get into it. There are two accounts of Jesus' birth in the Bible. The, the Matthew chapter 1 and, um, you know, Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and um, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. Hallelujah. Praise God. Two accounts. Matthew's account focused on how that angel Gabriel showed up to Joseph and told Joseph that, see, your betrothed, your wife, so to speak, right, is going to have a child. She's going to become pregnant with a person by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that person is going to be called Emmanuel. It's going to be called Jesus because it's going to save God's people. And, you know, don't divorce her. Don't divorce her because that child is, you know, is actually, you know, of, is actually God. And Joseph heeded the voice of the angel and, you know, he didn't divorce her. And the Bible tells us that the child was born. And when he was born, you know, there was no place for them in the room that they thought they would have. So they had to give birth somewhere else. Um, where the animals were around the place, you know, scholars have different ideas of what it was, whether it was the manger of the inn, you know, some of us will tell you that no, it was actually, if you look at the structure of their house, they have rooms and then they have a central place where their animals come in to stay in the night. So maybe they didn't have space in the rooms of their house, in their family compound, so they had to give birth in the central place where the animals come to stay. It doesn't matter. What matters is that, you know, either way, we're not there, praise God. You know, and um, the, the story, we're not in Jewish context, so we cannot know exactly everything that happened as it happened, but we know, we know what matters, hallelujah. What matters is that, you know, they had to give birth in very uncomfortable situations, in very uncomfortable, you know, context and, you know, so to speak. And the Bible tells us that a star showed in the sky and men from the east, from faraway land, probably around Persia or the Medes, began to come down following that star. And when they got to Jerusalem, they, you know, they asked Herod that who is this man that's going to, who is the child that's going to be born of king of the Jews? And he said, you know what? And Herod said, go and find the man. Hallelujah. Go and find the child and let me know. And they went to look for the child and they found the child and they presented gifts. By then, the child was no more a baby. Obviously, the child was, you know, much, but, but probably a toddler or something like that. Hallelujah. And they presented gifts and an angel warned them not to go back uh, to Herod. And they didn't and they went their way. And then Herod only persecuted and he killed all the children below, below two years and above and below. And then the parents had to run to Egypt. Everything in accordance with the prophecy of scripture. Hallelujah. Luke, who is a biographer and a first century historian par excellence. Hallelujah. If you see the way he started his own, he said, I'm writing to you, O Theophilus, concerning the things that are most assuredly believed of us. After I have inquired of all the eyewitnesses of things that happened, and I have taken my time to write it down, then he started from the beginning. Hallelujah. The beginning of how John the Baptist was conceived. And John the Baptist's parents, you know, were Zechariah and Elizabeth, and these people were of the family of the Levites, and his father was a high priest, and they didn't have children for many years. They were old. We don't know exactly how old, but we know that by the standard of the time, by the standard of human experience, they were past childbearing age. They were the, the age where nobody expects people to have children anymore. Hallelujah. Praise God. Church, are you with me? And the Bible tells us, Luke chapter 1, that Zechariah God, well, you know, it was, the Lord fell on him. <laughs> Lord fell on him. Praise God. I've heard it once said that um, when, when Christians cast lots, or when, in Jewish culture, when you cast lots, it's like gambling. It is not like gambling. 
let me not go into that. Hallelujah. Anyway, the Lord ordered, you know, orchestrated events such that the Lord fell on Zechariah and he went into the temple. And if you understand the nature of the temple, because we understand, you know, we talk about it in the salvation series. God is holy. God is holy. And Jewish people understood that God is holy. God cannot behold sin. And Jewish people understood that God cannot behold sin. So that's the reason why when you're going to go and see God in the, in the temple or in the, in the Holy of Holies, you must cleanse yourself and offer sacrifices for your sins so that you can be clean. Because if you come in, if you've cleansed yourself and just before you entered, you remembered one woman that you saw by the road and just lost it after her. You cleansed yourself. And this is the line of the inner Holy of Holies. And then you just thought of another person's wife. You just enter, pow! India will just kill you. Instantly. <laughs> guy prepared himself, got in there, and an angel showed up and said, hmm, guy, you're going to have to, you're not gonna have, we are going to have your son. He's going to be the forerunner of the savior of the world. And the man said, how is this possible? I'm ready, I'm ready old. He now says, you know what? For you to believe, let me stir up your faith so that you can believe. I'm going to take away your speech temporarily so that you will know that what happened here was not you having a vision. You know, because can you enter? And when he comes out and he tells people that I saw an angel and the angel said this, people will say, it was the power of God that was strong on you. You were hallucinating. You know that? You know that? You can say the power of God was very strong on you, so you were hallucinating. So that's why you imagined what you saw. The angel wanted him to know that, see, you did not imagine what happened. He gave him concrete evidence that he encountered something. And what was the concrete evidence he gave him? Took away his speech. You know? Took away his speech and he came out and everybody was like, Waiting to happen. This man is not speaking again, and everybody perceived that he must have seen something. So, you know, and he kept it to himself. The Bible now tells us that an angel now showed up to Mary, and normally I'll have read this through this story, right? But I want, I'm, I'm, there's a point to be made. Normally we'll have read through, but there's no time, right? So the angel showed up to Mary and told her that, see, you have been blessed and highly favored. And Mary was like, what kind of greeting is this? Who am I? Why am I blessed and highly favored? He said, see, you're about to conceive something powerful. You're about to conceive something very serious and God has picked you special. And I said, how is it possible that I will have a child since I've never known a man? <laughs> and the angel told her, see, relax. With God, all these things are not hard. <laughs> With God, nothing is impossible. And you know what she said? She said, be it unto me according to your word. That means, Lord, I am yours. Do with me what you will. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then she went to see her cousin, Elizabeth. And by the time she went to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth had been pregnant, and they were surprised and astounded. How can an old woman, you know, have be pregnant? And as Mary stepped into the house, in fact, as they heard the voice, the Bible says that the, the baby inside of, his, of Elizabeth leaped because she knew that, ah, God, the, the baby knew that, ah, no, purpose. This is the reason why I have come. Praise God. And Elizabeth said something very, very powerful. She said, who am I? That the mother of my Lord will come to me. See, sometimes I get the reason why our Catholic brethren go overboard with this Mary thing. You understand that? You will see why. Now, just hold on. You know, and then she he stayed with her, she stayed with them, um, and then they, you know, they, and then Mary now sang a song of inspiration. Luke chapter one. We're gonna come, come back to look at the song. And then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for a couple of months, probably until Elizabeth had kids. Um, had John the Baptist, probably until that time. We don't, we, you know, it's not spelled out clearly, but probably until that time. And we know what happened afterwards with the birth of John the Baptist when the boy was born and everyone had named him something else. And now said no, and then God opened the mouth of Zechariah again and he told him what the name was. That name was John. Hallelujah. 
And Elizabeth too, coincidentally, also had the right name. Hallelujah. Supernatural thing. And Zechariah too, under the expression of the Holy Spirit, gave another song. Those two songs are messages on their own. But let's, you know, that's not the focus for today. Hallelujah. And so Augustus now counted, asked for a, a, a census, and then, um, you know, Mary and, um, Mary and Joseph now went home. So you can see how the stories are fitting together. Matthew focused on one part of the story. Luke focused on another part of the story. So um, if you had just read Luke without Matthew's account, you'd have been wondering what made Joseph continue to stay with such a woman that became pregnant that was not his own. Matthew told us that part of the story. Praise God. And so, um, you know, they went home and um, they went home to heart for the census and on their way, and they, when they got home, they had the child, our Lord, hallelujah. And the Bible says that some angels were on the field nearby and a host of angels just popped open in the sky and began to sing, Gloria in Excelsior's day, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest, hallelujah. Even the angels were mesmerized by what had just happened. You will see why they were mesmerized. And, you know, and then Jesus was presented at the temple after. So that is the story in summary. I believe that everybody has caught up with the story. Praise God. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is this. You will see why the angels had to come and show up. You will see the reason why um, sometimes you can get carried away and, you know, with the Mary matter. Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born. Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born. Jesus did not have life when he was born. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was the God and the the word was God. All things were made by the word. All things were made by the word. Revelation chapter 31 tells us, he says, Jesus says, I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. Jesus is the locus. Revelation chapter 1 verse 15. Tells us that all things were made by him and for him and there's nothing that was made that was made without him. Everything, whether visible or invisible, dominions, kingdom, principalities, and all that, all things were made by the Lord. He is the Logos. He is the entity, the summation of the entire thoughts and principles and wills of the Lord. That's why he's of one will with the Father, of one substance with the Father. He is existence himself. Everything in the existence came by his will and is maintained by his will. Ha. Because not only did he create everything that existed, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that he upholds all things by the word of his power. The very fact that the sun is still in the sky and it has not dropped. You know, if you go into quantum mechanics, they'll tell you something. They'll tell you some things. There's eschatological astrophysics. Where they'll be asking you the fact, the way, you know, physicists will look at entire at creation, they'll look at the universe and everything, and astrophysics, and they'll tell you that what exactly is holding the universe to, together is unknown. It has not been tested. It cannot be tested. There are no physical parameters to test it because we know that, okay, for example, gravity is what holds the earth in orbit around the sun. And we know that there's some gravity that's holding our sun and our solar system in our galaxy. But the thing is that when you do your calculations, you'll find that the force that holds everything to egg together, gravity cannot account for all of it. So they call it dark matter. That means it's dark. We don't know what it is. But there's something holding everything together. Even gravity itself that can be calculated, which cannot account for everything, but is holding some things together, what exactly is it? 
What exactly shapes the fabric of our existence that it is the way it is? There is no reason everybody takes it for granted. You wake up in the morning and every day the sun is rising up. You wake up every morning and every day the sun is rising up. And then in your mind, and because for 10,000 years the sun has been rising up, physicists thought about it one day and now asked themselves, why exactly are we sure that the sun will rise tomorrow? Because it has been rising. The fact that the, you saw the sun yesterday does not mean that it will be there tomorrow. Do you know that? Do you know that? You've never thought about it. Whatever is holding it, what, why? Because that thing began to hold it at some point. And there will be a point when to stop holding it. Why, why won't it happen tomorrow? He upholds all things by the word of his power. And because he loved us, he decided to do something. Because he had a work in mind, he had a plan in mind. Before the foundation of the earth, he decided that the community and the fellowship, that the three persons in deity, the three persons in Godhead enjoy eternally. He wanted, it to, he wanted to share it with some entities. And so he began to create entities that were in his image that could also participate in that thing so that we can enjoy that community and fellowship. That's why the Bible says that God is love. If God was not three persons in one, the statement God is love would be meaningless because love to the self is not love. Do you understand that? Love directed to the self is narcissism. That's why Muslims cannot say God is love. If God exists without creation, when there is no creation, what is God loving? My God. Did you hear what I just said now? You didn't hear. If there is no creation and God is not triune, then what is God loving? If he's loving himself, then he's just a narcissist. That is not love. Love is oriented towards the will of another. Hey, that's why our God is truly worthy of worship. That's why this thing that we believe is not something that is man-made. It cannot be man-made. So he looked at us and said, I want you to participate in what I'm, what I'm enjoying. But this is the thing. The thing that was separating us from God, the thing that kept us away from God, the thing that made us to be enemies of God is the sins that we have committed. We have gone astray, we cut off ourselves by denying our purpose. Any river that forgets its source will dry up. So all of us were tending towards death by, by reason of forgetting our source. When we begin to do things contrary to our purpose, because sin is not just doing something that God does not like. Sin is not just doing something that God does not like. Sin is more than that. Sin is you, your creator created you with a plan in mind, then you turn your back on that plan and begin to do something else. What happens when you leave what the creator created you for is death and corruption. You create a keyboard and you begin to use it to nail, nail, hammer nails. What will happen to the keyboard? Did you hear what I just said now? Huh? You create a, an iPad and you begin to use it to sweep the floor. What will happen to that iPad? So it's not just that I'm annoyed that you're using my iPad to sweep. I'm annoyed because you are destroying it. That's why it says we were children of death and destruction. We were children of wrath. That was what was in, we were entitled to because of our sin. God created us to live in a certain way which is for our good. And then we we'll turn our backs on it and said to live. And you know, see, God said, see, I love these children too much. I'm going to make a way for them so that they can be what I intended for them to be. Because I'm just, 
the things that they have done, the evil that they have done, must be paid, paid for. Because evil that is not judged is not righteousness. That's not holiness. Someone does evil, you don't just say stand up and go. They must pay for what they have done. But if they pay for what they have done, there will be nothing left in their body to love. You, know, you understand? You know, if you pay for what you have done, there will be nothing left. So he now said, I will come and pay for them. But like I was saying yesterday, if someone is going to pay for the sins of every human being that has ever existed and will ever exist, because the wages of one sin is death, the wages of all the sins in your life is plenty death. Now, the wages of all the sins of the people alive today <laughs> is incalculable. Now, we're talking about the wages of the sins of everybody that has ever existed and will ever exist. One human being's life is not enough to pay for all their sins. The person that will pay for the sins of everybody, everybody, that has ever existed and will ever exist is somebody that is bigger than everybody that will ever exist and has ever existed. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? The person that can pay for the sins of everybody that has ever existed and will ever exist is somebody that is bigger than everybody that has ever existed and will ever exist. And that's why only one person could do it, God. And then you know he did? That's the moment when he now, he, you know he had been orchestrating something before time began. He had been orchestrating something before time began. And when the time was right, he popped up into the world. He made a temple of flesh for himself by the power of the Holy Spirit and put it in the womb of Mary. He made a temple of flesh for himself and put it in the womb of Mary so that he could come into the world. So Jesus did not begin to exist that moment he was born. That was the moment when he took on flesh, when he incarnated. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Church, how together. So he had to incarnate for our sakes. Because only someone that can die can die for the sins of the world. Yet only someone that is bigger than the sins of the world can die for the sins of the world. So that's why he had to become truly man. And he had to be truly God at the same time. Hallelujah. Praise God. So God became man for our sake. The second thing that is very important to note is that you will see something throughout the thread of this story, throughout, is that Jesus maintained one energy. There's one energy that he maintained. And what was that energy? Just like Apostle Paul tells in Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5, that let his mind that was in Christ also be in you, who considered not robbery to be equal with God, took on the form of a lowly servant and became like us. You see that mentality, that mindset of living or, let me use the word living, Adding a lower estate to himself. Putting on a lower estate for himself so that he can do that work. That humility, he maintained that energy in everything that he did. He was consistent. Not once did he break character. This is what I mean. Every single thing that had to do with his incarnation, his work on the earth, consistently till the end, was with that same mentality, that energy of humility. <laughs> so when he was going to come, and choose a forerunner for himself. You know the kind of parents that he chose? He chose parents that everybody thought they cannot have children again. Jesus' energy, the energy that Jesus consistently gives is the energy of, I'm looking for the low things. I'm looking for the despised things. 
I'm looking for the unlikely things. I'm looking for the things that people don't consider anything. They are the ones I want to use for my purpose. Jesus maintained that energy consistently. So this is a part of the reasons with the way that we look at Mary that is funny. Sometimes. It is true. It is actually a big deal that God came, created a, a body for himself and put it in your womb. There is no honor greater than that in this world. I hope you know. There is no honor greater than that in this world. But because Jesus is, because Jesus always speaks the low things, it also means that if you are low, you didn't hear what I said now. It was a privilege. And the reason why it was a privilege is because you are low. It's because you are despised. It's because you are not special. Did you hear what I just said now? So that means that if you had seen Mary in the first century and they had gathered all the ladies that let's look for the person that can accommodate Jesus' womb. If you line people up, you will have seen her and not have thought of her. There is no reason why the Lord of all the earth, let me tell you the level of, okay, because God exists outside of time, there is nothing like mistake and surprise with him. Everything that came together for his birth are things that you will know that God is involved. For example, just two examples, I could go into so many, just two examples from the story. If you understand the Roman backstory that made Augustus to call for the census, there was a lot of Robodino in the Roman emperor, em, Empire and everything that actually started from the time of, you know, his father Julius Caesar and the coup that happened and everything and everything. So there were a lot of, you know, rebellions in the handover and all those kinds of things. Things were happening in Egypt, Cleopatra and all that. All those things that have been happening for hundreds of years and centuries culminated in a point where Augustus now came and said, see, let's count everybody. Let's even know everybody that's in the Roman Empire. Guess what? That was the thing that made them to go home so that they can give birth in Bethlehem according to something that was prophesied 1,000 years before. You do not understand what I just said now. There is nothing that is happening that is surprising God, that God just started planning it now. Everything had been finished before the foundations of the earth. Let me, let me explain. Before the light of a star can get to, the, to planet earth, it takes light years. Even our sun that is in our backyard here, before the light gets to the earth, it takes four minutes. The closest star to us, I think it's about one light year away. That means that if the light is traveling at the speed of light, it takes one year before it gets here. How much more those other ones, those other ones, the stars you are seeing now, they are gone. The light you are seeing of those stars, eh? some of them are the are light of the stars 1,000 years ago. The star is probably not even there again. Now, you have a star that begins to shine just when Jesus was born. Telling you something. That light star had begun to shine thousands of years before. And the light landed when Jesus was born. So that star had been planned. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? The God who is this wise, who is this powerful, who has put everything together like this, when he was going to plan the way he would incarnate and come into the world, I'm telling you, that if Jesus had planned that he would come into a middle class home, it would have been too much. I don't think it's too much. For the king of kings and the lord of lords to plan that I will be born into a middle class home is not too much. In fact, if he had planned that he will be born into a palace, it won't take away from his glory. Think about it. Moses, who, was going to be, who, be, who will be the savior of God's children, of God's people, where was he born? In the palace. 
He was raised as a prince. And did Moses not do what they sent him to do? Did he not fulfill purpose? So it's, it's not too much. If Jesus had decided that I'll be born into a royal family, if he had decided I'll be born into a palace, but he planned it, that is when there's no room, where they will give birth to near the goats, that's where I want to be born. He maintained that energy of using despised things to glorify himself. He maintained that energy of using despised things to glorify himself. Church, I was together. Praise God. He maintained that energy. He maintained that energy all through. Praise God. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So it makes perfect sense when you begin to see things like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, from verse 18 says, oh, it's a very long, wrong read. I cannot go into it. Apostle Paul talks about the, the foolishness of the cross and the despise that, we, that the message, you know, that the message entails and how that God uses the despised things to frustrate the wise. Verse 20, he says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Look at verse 26. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may be able to boast before him. No one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus maintained one energy from his incarnation, from the, actually from the beginning of earth, for the, for the sake of the message, from his incarnation to the work of redemption, to his resurrection, and the church that came after. He maintained one energy. God consistently used the despised things to show his will. He consistently used the things that are considered lowly. He said, brothers and sisters, look at yourselves when God called you. He said, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were noble. He said, not many of you were influential. People don't know the implication of what they are saying. When they tell God's children that if you are not influential, you cannot do God's purpose enough. You don't know the implication of that statement. You don't know the implication of that statement. It's not your fault. You don't read your Bible. It's not your fault. You don't know the implication of that statement. When you look at God's children and make them feel like as if the ones among them who are influential, the ones among them who are rich, the ones among them who are powerful are the ones that will do more for God. When Jesus makes something very clear that see, when I want to do something, I will do it in such a way that no man can boast. Do you know why? See, when God does things like that, it's not because he's a narcissist. And he wants to be the center of attention. It's actually because it's for our own good. Because what pride does, what that sense of independence from God, what it does for us, to us, is that it cuts us away from God. It alienates us from God, our source. And when we alienate ourselves from God, we can never fulfill God's purpose for us. We're going to be depraved. We're going to be anti what he planned for us. That's why God will resist the proud and give grace to the humble. That's why God hates idolatry. It's not because God is like a jealous lover 
you know, and people just use that analogy wrongly. Like he's a jealous lover and he's just an obsessed narcissist like acrimony. No! Because those things that you are following, your pride and your idolatry, what it is doing to you is that it is actually destroying you. And God's love makes him to hate anything that will destroy you. Love is to will the good of a person. Because God loves you, he's actively against anything that will destroy you. And nothing destroys you faster than committing the sin that Satan committed, which is to want to be independent, which is the sin that Adam and Eve also committed, to want to be independent of God. That's why God hates pride. And that's why God is deliberate about incentivizing humility. He incentivizes humility. He gives grace to the humble. The man that sees himself as dependent and reliant on God, the man that sees himself as low and despised, is the one that God wants to use. Because that man will remain connected to God. And the man that remains connected to God is the one that can fulfill God's purpose for his life. The one that begins to feel independent and proud, God will resist him. God will bring him down. God will humble him for his own good. It's not for like revenge. Like you they show me, I will show you. You want to me, Abi? A whole God like me, I will show you, Pepe. More than that. When you are getting proud, God loves you. What he will do? We deal with you. That's why I'm telling you, God will judge the philosophy and the ideas that tells people that Christians, that being rich is the, is the expression of how much of God's grace is in your life. Being influential is the expression of how much of God's grace is in your life. God will judge the idea that if you are not rich, you cannot do much for God. The amount of influence that you have and the amount of money that you have is the amount of purpose we are going to do. God will judge that idea. God will not take it lightly from us. If we in the body of Christ, that our Lord became lowly, he didn't have to do it. He came lowly. And he lived a life of an example. If God Almighty can come in the, in the flesh and be born in a manger, who are you to come to the body of Christ and tell poor people that they, are not, they will not amount to much? Who are you? What are you? As a Christian, who are you to look down on poor people? Who are you? Who are you to look down on poor people? These things are not a joke. They are not just things that we say to make ourselves feel good. These things have serious imports for the Christian life. How do you think the Roman Empire changed? How do you think the Roman Empire turned, got turned around? The Roman Empire did not understand Christianity. Do you know why? Because till today they are still tweeting rubbish like that. They didn't understand why a God will say that the mark or the indicator of goodness is being humble and being weak. Did you understand Christians putting pictures of a God that killed himself? Did you understand it? Because in pagan culture, and this is considered all pagan cultures, in Rome it was a clear thing that if you are strong and you are rich, it means the gods are behind you. Those that are not doing well, the gods don't like them. So the strong, powerful people, the warriors, the politicians, the gods, they are the favorites of the gods. 
And so because of that, might was right. When a strong person, there was a time that um, the, the Athenians wanted to go and challenge the, 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 the Greeks in Malta. And they went there and said, see, make an account all the money we want to get. See, if you're Nigeria, I just understand. Let me speak, right? Make an account all the money we want to get. We want to give them. Bring them here. See, ah, bros, you can't just come to our country and take over our property. He said, why not? He said, it's not good. Says who? Baba, look around you. By the grace of the gods, we know that anybody that is strong is because the gods like them. And when the gods have given you power to take over other people, you take over other people. And people you have taken over must accept their faith. That's what they told them. That's how the world was before Jesus came. Christianity came and all of a sudden, it now became like, we should even be taking, in fact, the poor people are the ones that God loves. It's you people that are rich, that God has turned his back on. That's why rich people find it very hard to enter heaven. Do you know why? Because one of the things that riches does is that it deceives you, like Solomon prophesied in Proverbs chapter 30. It deceives you to begin to think that you are independent of God. You begin to look at those things and they make you, because they meet your needs, you begin to think like as if you don't need God. You stop praying. You stop serving God. You stop feeling reliant. You become proud. You start seeing poor people and you start getting disgusted by them. You find yourself saying, you find yourself expecting preferential treatment when you go to certain places. You expect other people to be dehumanized for you. When they are poor, it doesn't matter how long they are on the queue. I'm rich. I should boycott them. Slowly, slowly, you begin to think of yourself as immortal, as independent from God. The Bible says, Jesus said, see, rich people can, it's very hard for them to enter heaven. That's why. But at the end of the chapter, you know what he now says? He now says, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are not, are what? Possible. Do you know why he was saying that? He was not saying that because with God, if a child of God has God, even if he has resources that is rich, because he has God, it is possible for a child of God. If you have God, your natural flesh, for your natural flesh, it is impossible for you to have money and not begin to become proud. But for a man who has the Holy Spirit, it is possible for you to have money and not be proud. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said? Because the, so when you now turn your back on that, in Christianity, the rich ought to be careful so that money does not corrupt them. When we now turn it the other way around and now make wealth and resources to be the center of our gospel, the center of our identity as church, the center of why we do the gospel, we don't know what we are playing with. That's why God will judge severely. God will judge severely. A Christian has no excuse for despising the poor. A Christian has no excuse for looking down on poor people. Listen to me. If you never had any reason to give yourself brain and behave like a Christian, let Jesus' incarnation be that thing that will correct it in your head. When you look at yourself as better than other people because of some material things that you have, you are telling us that you know better than Jesus. Here I just said now. What Jesus did by becoming poor for us, what Jesus did by coming to enter this rofo rofo among these dirty, dirty human beings for us, I don't do that. Me, I do. I don't do the bridge. If you hear a Christian doing that, just, if you hear a Christian make that statement, just know that the salvation, maybe it's not saved, or the salvation is on quarter tank. So I, I don't do the bridge. We live in, we live in VI. We live in Ikoyi. We don't do the bridge. 
You ever come out and something happens? As a child of God, that's the Holy Spirit. And you come and say, do you know who I am? Do you know who are you? Do you, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? The Christian says that. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Hallelujah. But also, one and another thing that this also makes us realize is that we have hope. We have hope. We have hope. If God is consistently using the despised things for his glory, then it means forget what people are saying about you. Forget what human beings are saying. If God specializes, if Jesus has maintained the energy of using despised things for his glory, brothers and sisters, you are the perfect candidates. You are the perfect candidates. That's why the apostles will beg you, Oga, humble yourself under God's mighty hand so that in due time he may what? Lift you. For Christians, in Christianity, being despised is not something to be ashamed of. Being despised is something to boast in. Hallelujah. Because our boast is in the Lord, not in what we have. So if human beings are looking at you by their human standards, if human beings are looking at you by their human standards as you are nothing, you are nothing, you are nothing, that is the time when you should glory because you are the perfect candidate for God's power. God will use you. That's what he wants to use. You are the perfect candidate for God's goodness. God is going to use you to confess. God to use you for his purpose. So there is hope. There is hope. Change your metric system. Change your, 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 your KPI system from the human standards. And begin to look at yourself the way God sees you. Don't go on social media and the things that people are putting there, all the lies they are putting there by human standards and making you feel small. I don't have money. Say, well, my friends, God, what is wrong with you? Have you not read your Bible? Have you not read your Bible? That's what Jesus does. He usually despises things. And that's why you, that you are rich, be afraid. Be afraid. If they are warning you and they are telling you, Baba, you get money, you say, no, I don't get money. I don't want get That's what you should be doing. You understand what I'm saying here? Yeah? If people are whining you and you're telling you you are mighty, you are saying, I'm not mighty, leave me. If they need that for you, you go lower. If they lie down, lie down that the floor for them. Tell them, I'm not mighty, leave me. Don't destroy my life. If you, you are rich, that's not the time that you're not becoming on Instagram to be showing people how much money you have. Oh God, that's the time when you'll be humble. You'll be... Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you get what I'm saying to you? This is Christianity. We don't boast in material things because that is, if you boast in it, as your reward already. It shows what you worship. So that's why if you, even if you have money in your bank account, your heart is like a poor man's own. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's why even if you have money in your bank account, your heart will be like a what? Poor man's own. Because you must consistently see yourself as lowly. So that God can use you. Let people despise you. That's okay. That's good stuff. Rejoice. When people say that guy, nothing, no deal. Say thank you. Thank you. That's a sign. That's a prophecy. He's prophesying to you. When someone looks at you and despises you and says, those guys, forget they are nothing. That's when you rejoice. That's when you rejoice. Your family members, there are some people that have traveled abroad and you are the one that is in Nigeria and then they are looking at you like a if you are the one that didn't make it out all over all of us. <laughs> you are a child of God. You know better. Rejoice. Because God is going to use you. God is going to use you. God is going to use you because as you are dependent, I hope you know that a person can be poor 
and be thinking like a rich person. Have you heard of Igbera Gatalika before? Those ones are even the worst. You are poor, but you are bringing the cost of rich people on your head. You have lost in two places. Instead of you to be poor and be really poor in your mind, that's why I said, blessed are the poor. That's why Jesus said in the Beatitude, blessed are the poor. You don't understand. <laughs> you that are now poor, but you are now not dependent on God. You are despised by human beings, but you are not relying on God. You are having the You are the most unfortunate. At least the rich people still have money, so that they are going to hell with the money. They will be enjoying while they are going to hell. You, you are now poor, and you are now proud. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just need to mention that in case there's anybody here that is thinking that I'm poor, I'm okay, but you don't pray. You don't, you don't, you are not dependent on God in your mind. You are okay. You are not okay. You are the worst of this whole picture. <laughs> Church, all together. See, there's hope for me. See, there's hope for me. I want you to say with me, see, there's hope for me. See, I have a hope. Hallelujah. Should I get what I'm saying? Stand tall, stand proud. Stand in the purpose of God for your life. Stand in the purpose of God for your life. Jesus maintains that energy. And I'm telling you, I have seen it in my life. It is when you are most humble, when you are most on the ground, when you are falling back on him and him alone. Even if you have, you have money, you have accounts, you have a good job, you have money in your accounts. Don't look at that money. That's why Paul told the rich people in 1 Timothy 6. He said, Timothy, tell the rich people among you that they should not put their trust in what? On certain riches. But they should put their trust in who? You look at the money in your accounts, no matter how plenty it is. Don't look at it like as if I did okay. You know they okay. Because one thing will happen and that money will disappear. Tell yourself, God is my hope. I mean it. You are the one that Jesus was talking about when he said that even with God, all things are possible. You can have $10 billion in your accounts. And you look at all those things and count it as nothing because God is my hope. Do you know what I'm saying to you? My hope is in God. My hope is in God. We will not despise the poor because we will be poor in hearts. We will not despise the poor. We will be poor in hearts. Our trust is in God. Our trust is in God. Jesus is our example. The one who came and humbled himself like a servant, became lower than the angels to the point where people could even despise him and be doubting whether he was truly God or not. He did. You, you know, sometimes, sometimes, some things will happen that will make you feel like as if, ah, you people don't know me. If I want to show myself, you will collect. If I show myself, you will collect. Jesus, people tempted Jesus with that thing many times. Many times. Many times. People will say things about you, slander you, say things that are despiteful about you because of this and that. Like as if you are not, see, don't be angry. You are in good company. Do you know what I'm saying to you? You are like your Lord. You are exactly like Jesus. So take what I'm saying to you. God became a man. God became poor. There's no reason to you to should not be poor in heart. If Jesus can become poor so that we can become rich, you too must be willing to remain poor in heart. We don't put our trust in riches. We put our trust in God. Hallelujah. We don't put our trust in earthly influence and jobs and having a, an uncle in Abuja or having a position in Lagos State Government. That's not what our trust is. Our trust is in who? Our trust is in God. Our trust is in God. Hallelujah. Church, bow down your head and let's pray. 
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.